Okay, we are going to continue our sermon sessions into the Gospel of John. And we will find ourselves for this day in uh, chapter 8. Chapter 8, verses 48 down through 59, which will finish the chapter. John chapter 8, verses 48 through 59. Thus far, we have certainly been learning of Jesus, who he is as a man and as God on earth. And we've recognized his ministry and how he came to bring eternal life to the people, his people, freedom away from the shackles of sin and those who were their oppressors, the leadership, the governing powers that had since tyrannically oppressed them with all sorts of uh, traditions that were hard on them and worldviews that were not accurate to the text, if you will. And, of course, um, we see the interaction uh, between Jesus and those he is ministering to and those in whom he is proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And uh, we see those who have genuine faith and we see and recognize those who had superficial faith. And sadly, his people, his culture, his family, his kind, the Jews, for the most part, rejected him and neglected the fact that he was the prophesied coming king walking among them. And they grew in great hostility against him as the Sanhedrin, the realm of governing uh, policy to the Jewish people were against the Christ. And they were against him, of course, because their hearts were evil. They would seek to remove him. Uh, run him off or remove him through murder because he posed a great threat to them. He posed a great threat to them because he was authentic, he was genuine, he was real, he was indeed God on earth among them, the people. And he was calling the people away from their subordination and loyalty to the religious leaders who were corrupt the self-righteous, pharisaical kind, the, the Sadducees, and all those, again, who were part of the Sanhedrin leadership. And so we've gone through this journey thus far, seeing these interactions, these engagements, and how Jesus would have great compassion and teaching with those who would be willing to hear and who sought his healing power, and his information, his instruction, his words, his authority. And we saw from those who were not pure of heart 
and not humble, who were filled with pride and would give Jesus or try to give Jesus problems, if you will, and challenging him and uh, uh, speaking all manners of evil against him and accusing him of all sorts of uh, 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 evil things. And of course, this continues in greater hostility as we've been reading on into the gospel, which of course will attain the moment and recorded account of his crucifixion, to which he is always in control and will allow. And we're going to see in this portion of scripture the continued theme of the gospel, which is that Jesus is God, he is equal with the Father, he has defended his position very well, and he will continue to do so, and he will also, of course, always, to the instruction of the new birth, extend this gospel to all those who would be humble enough to follow him, believe in him. But we see how belief in God is not sufficient, if not with the proper motive of the heart, because the individuals in which he is addressing the Jews are indeed believers. And we recognize that in our previous sermon session in chapter 8, verse 30, where it said, as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him, verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him. And then he proceeds to speak to them, of course, of his deity. And they grow uh, deeper into their rebellion and their hostility and slander against Jesus. And Jesus reveals to them their paternal source, which was the devil, a murderer and a liar from the beginning. And we recognize that last week, how these believers were guilty of following the devil and practicing the things the devil practiced from the very beginning, which are lies and murder. And from that context, the text continues into verse 48 and following, and that's what we're going to be looking at together now. Verse 48. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? They are filled with scorn and contempt. They are filled with corrupt hearts and evil motives and minds. Instead of being humble and seeing clearly, having a moment of clarity and seeing who Jesus was and receiving him and the love he had to offer, the eternal life he had to offer, they went the other direction. When the truth was presented to them, they chose to harden their hearts in defiance, in rebellion, and neglect the messiahship, the kingship, and the true and revealed prophecies of the prophets they were born and raised to read, recite, teach, and preach. And so, Jesus, having told them that they belong to the devil, and we must always respect the context of who he is saying that to, Religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, the Jews, 
those who were firmly convinced in their conscience that they were the sons of God, they were believers, they were the holders of the law and the enforcers of the law. How can this man from Nazareth of all things, of a lowly birth of all things, to which we know he is the son of Mary and Joseph, how can this man have such arrogance to try to tell us that we are not the sons of the kingdom, that we belong to the devil, that we are not saved, that we somehow need to repent, that we are not pure, that somehow we are corrupt. How dare this man say such a thing? They could not accept the truth of the matter. And we saw in application form how that today would be similar to Jesus among us, Christians saying you're lost and your elders are lost. Well, how can we be lost? We were born and raised in the church. How dare you? I'm a Christian. I believe. I have faith. I have a personal relationship with Jesus. How can you dare tell me I'm lost and tell me you can see why they crucified him? Have you ever tried telling believers that they're lost? They get very angry. Why? What's the problem? Pride. Pride's in the way ego if i admit i'm wrong that means i have to change and that means everyone around me has been wrong and i'm not gonna do that and to add to that these here leaders and the jews they were grown accustomed to the control they had over the people they controlled the people what they told them to do they did they bore on them a heavy burden that they themselves would not want to carry. They had control of people's minds and they didn't want to let that go. And Jesus was there to tell them, you can be set free from that control. And to add to that, they were greedy. And when you have control of people's minds, you have control of people's wallets. And they didn't want to lose any money at the hands of this pesky Jesus. And on top of that, they had the praise of the people because if they can control the people, they control their wallets, then they control the praise in which direction it goes. And they receive the praise of the people. Oh, look. It's brother so-and-so. Oh. They love their chief seats. They love the praise of men in the community. They had that bold, arrogant, face behind the pulpit they were scholarly they were educated they knew it all and they controlled the people because the people did they did oh peasants peasants don't know what we know so we need to tell them what they need to know and how they need to know it and jesus was speaking words of freedom away from that shackle you have to really understand the context and the people to fully receive the information we're reading. The Jews answered and said to Jesus, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? You know, the, the, the Jews, they didn't like the Samaritans at all. Oh, those pesky pagans, those pesky, no good, unpure dogs. You know why they hated the Samaritans so badly? Because the Samaritans didn't believe that the Jews, these 
the Sanhedrin, these leaders, had any ancestral lineage or uh, 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 credibility to God the Father. So they hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans didn't see them as legitimate children of God. How dare they? And here's Jesus saying the same thing. So he must be a Samaritan. Because the Samaritans have been telling this, have been our, they've been our enemies forever. Telling us that we don't belong to God. How dare they say that? Well, of course we belong to God. And here comes this man, Jesus, saying the same thing. Well, he must be a Samaritan, just like the rest of those, those dogs. And to add to that, you have a demon. It's not bad enough that they're derogatory, very rude, very brash, very heavy-handed accusations. Jesus is not a Samaritan. He was not born of that lineage. He's a Jew. But yet, oh, his ideology must confer with the Samaritans, so therefore he's a Samaritan by having the same worldview as the Samaritans. You know what's going on? They've created the Christ in their own image. People create Jesus in their own image. And here's the real Jesus before them. They don't want, no, that can't be the Jesus. That's not the same Jesus we had in our minds. So therefore, this Jesus is the enemy. He's a Samaritan. He has a demon. He's a blasphemer. He's a thief. He's a deceiver. He, they call him everything. And when they speak of him being or having a demon, you know what they're saying? They're saying you are insane. Jesus, you're a dog. You're a pagan. You're unclean. And on top of that, you're insane. You don't have control of your mind. You're saying things that are just outlandish. You don't have control of your mind. We are the Jews. We have ancestral lineage back to Abraham. We are educated. Our school of thought, our governing body policies and politics is righteous. And how dare you come here and try to tell us we aren't what we've made ourselves to be. They sought the scriptures to find salvation in themselves. They thought the law in the very mechanical and legal way in of itself had salvation. They missed the mark. Salvation was in Christ, and all those who would follow the Christ would have salvation away from sin, and the bondage of the shackles these oppressors had since controlled the people with. So in retaliation and hostility, the Jews, digging their heels in, you're a Samaritan, and you have a demon, you're insane, Malicious accusations, malicious words. We all know what that sounds like. How manipulators such as these utilize these malicious words against those who are actually very sane. You're insane. They are guilty of the very things they were accusing Jesus of being. You're insane. They were insane. They were not thinking sanely. You're a deceiver. They were the deceivers. You're a thief. They were the thieves. Well, Jesus answers them in verse 49. I do not have a demon, meaning I've not lost my free will and sanity. I've not lost it. But I honor my father. 
and you dishonor me. Doesn't need to deal with the whole accusation regarding the Samaritans. Doesn't need to go that direction. He simply addresses the fact that I am not a demon. I am, I am very sane. I have control of my thoughts. I honor my father. What is Jesus in his purpose and ministry submissive to? His father in heaven. Everything Jesus says and does comes from above. His father. It is his task. It is his submission. It is his good pleasure to his father to be obedient. And he's learned it through a great many trials, temptations, and challenges and persecutions. And so he tells them, You accuse me of a great many things. But I am in control of my mind. I am controlled of my thoughts. I am sane. And I honor my father because I do and say as he has commanded. But you dishonor me. And Christ has already defended himself a great deal with the equality he has with the father. He's God on earth walking among us. And this took place 2,000 years ago. It is an objective, absolute reality of our existence on this earth. Jesus walked among us, God on earth. Even those who do not believe in God, even the very secularists and the atheists who are historians have admitted that much. Yeah, there was a man named Jesus whom the people thought was God. He walked among us and he did most certainly in the first century. Among these, his own kind, culture, family, people proclaimed the good news that they needed to repent, but yet so rebelliously they accuse him of all sorts of malicious intents to which they were guilty of. I am not controlled by a demon, Jesus says. I have control of my mind. I honor my father, you dishonor me. He continues and says in verse 50, but I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. They were guilty in their self-righteous indignation, their pride and their control and their very malignant ways. They brought glory to themselves among the control and the praise of the people and they sought to elevate themselves, exalt, those, exalt themselves among their kind, take preeminence among their kind. Jesus is saying, I'm not here to put a spotlight on myself as a, as a human walking this earth. I don't seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Again, the honor belongs to the Father. He is teaching them in his purity, in his essence, in his deity, yet in as a man, human being. The honor and glory belongs to the Father. To whom we are to be subject to. And he had told them, you don't belong to the father, my father. You belong to your father, the devil. And of course, the one who seeks and judges is the one who is just. And he says in verse 51, again, with great emphasis on our attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, pay close attention to what is going to be said and revealed. If anyone keeps my word he will never see death these here jews 
were so focused on worldly things, sociopolitical power, greed, self-righteousness, the praise of all these things, they could not understand the words Christ was speaking. They didn't want to. It's not that they couldn't understand the words as per the grammar and the context. It's that they just did not want to accept it to be true. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my words, he will never see death. That's interesting because back in verse uh, verse 31, he says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Conditional. If. What? You continue in my word. Here he says, if anyone, if, conditional, anyone keeps my word. The word keeps is an important word. It means that you are actively, each day, participating in the obedience and instruction and guidance of his word. Every day, you open this book, you read the instruction, you learn to understand what it means, and you apply it to your life in a very practical way. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And in their minds, we all die. What are you talking about if somebody uh, keeps your words, we don't die? We all die. Abraham even died. He's not speaking of physical death, is he? He's speaking of spiritual life and death. Of course, these containers, these vessels, this body must go back to the dirt. That is the consequence of sin began by Adam and Eve's rebellion and defiance to God's instruction way back in the Garden of Eden. We are living consequences of the fall of mankind. These bodies must dissolve. They rust. They get old. They decay. They pass on. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. He is giving them, again, the opportunity to take a breath, step back, and receive the information. And they would not need to die eternally. They could have eternal life. Well, the Jews said to him in verse 52, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and the prophets also. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. Didn't they just listen to what he's been saying for chapters on end here? What do you mean? So they reinforce the idea that he has a demon. He's insane. He's not in control of his thoughts. He's crazy. Abraham died. We all die. What do you mean if anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste death? And then they further say in verse 53, Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham, who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? You know what they do? And we've mentioned this before. They put their trust in men. That's their problem. They put their trust in men. You know what happens? They've said it out of their own mouth. They found themselves guilty. They trust in men. And what do men do? They just said it. Men die. Men die. But who doesn't die? And who has the ability to have us live forever? The one standing right in front of them. Jesus. Whom they are neglecting, rejecting, and seek to murder. 
the very source of their life, of their hope, they neglect, reject, and seek to murder. Jesus could have just said, you said it from your own mouth, and you're going to die along with all the rest of the men who die before you. You'll die with them, because you trust in men. And they could not even recognize, because of the log sticking out of their forehead, that they had created subordinates and loyalists, and they were controlling people to trust in men and not in God. See, the people thought they found salvation in trusting into the Sanhedrin's way of things, the Pharisaical way. Well, if we just do what they tell us to do, we'll find salvation. No, you don't trust in a man, you trust in God. You are not here for any other purpose and reason but to trust and follow Jesus. That is it. Though we are socially connected and we are a family and we love each other, the purpose behind it, the sourcing of our unity and goal is Christ and no other. You don't follow me. I can't save you. I don't have that power. I can't save your life. But I know who can. And so the Jews continue in their defiance and in their arrogance and ignorance, their stiffed heart. Surely you're not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Are you greater than Abraham? Pretty much, that's what they're... Oh, so you're greater than Abraham. And Abraham was the greatest of all men. And he died. And somehow you... You're not going to die. You can see how they must have mocked him on the cross, right? <laughs> Look at this fool. He said he was not... He was talking about life and nobody would die. Look at him on the cross dying. Oh, save yourself now. <laughs> you can see how, how they must have... They thought they won there. They thought, we got him. In their ignorance, they were so blind, they couldn't see that they were losing. Jesus answers them in verse 54. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. Oh, come on, guys. This is, this is pretty cool. Again, what is he saying? Don't trust in men. Trust in God. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. That's what they were doing. And they were trying to idolize Abraham and idolize uh, great men, great, powerful men for God, no doubt. But men. And what do, what do religious organizations today do as well? Don't they put a man up there? Oh, he's the Holy Father. Oh, he's the head pastor of several churches. Oh, he's this or he's that. Why do we seek to create a tyrant in order to oppress us? We've been set free by the power and blood of Jesus Christ. We need follow no man but Christ. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. The very God you claim to follow and believe in is my Father. And He glorifies me because I do and say as He has instructed me. Will not our Lord and Master bless our lives when we do and say the things He has taught us to do and say? Look at how far we've gone as His church. Look at the beautiful, wonderful things we have ahead of us. Look at the friendships that are cultivating. Look at the hopes and goals we have. 
He continues and says, And you have not come to know him. Verse 55. Oh, man. The very ones who claim to know everything about God, believers in God, the ones who taught God. You wanted to know about God? Remember what Jesus' siblings told him? If you want any credibility, you need to be approved by the religious leaders. You need to go to that Bible school and have their approval and become one of them before we even think that you are who you say you are. His own family would tell him that. They don't even know the Father. Because their father is not the heavenly one. Their father comes from below. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I don't, and if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Don't you tell me that you know Jesus, that you know God, but you don't do what his words say. Don't tell me that. Because that makes you out to be a liar. If you say you know Jesus and you say you know God, but you do not do what he says, that makes you out to be a liar. It makes you out to be a liar. That's exactly what they were doing to Jesus. We know the Father, we follow the Father, but yet they would not do what the Father wrote, and they would not believe what the Father wrote through the prophets. They were neglecting and rejecting the Christ to whom the prophets, the very book they were born and raised to read and learn and know. Now do you understand how worse it, would, it, it is for them in torment? How the gnashing of their teeth must be so strong? They should have known. He says in verse 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. The very man you idolize and have since created in your own image and lineage is truly blessed and joyful. He greatly anticipated the day of the Messiah 2,000 years ago, two millennia ago, Abraham sought to see and know and find joy in the coming Messiah through the lineage that God had promised. They tried to pull out Moses. They tried to pull out Abraham. They put their trust in men. They tried to find any kind of justification in order to get rid of Jesus and diminish his influence and who he truly was. And they were manipulative with it. Look at what they are saying about Jesus in front of the people. He's a Samaritan. He has a demon. And people believe the lie. People want to believe the lies. People believe lies against the faithful. We know it. We've experienced it, haven't we? When the tyrants and liars lie about us, some are devoured and believe the lies. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Everything is quite the opposite of these Jews. And what do these Jews say to him in verse 57? You are not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham. Can you not recognize how completely disconnected they are from what Jesus is saying? It's like if they were from two different planets. Oh, they're from two different fathers completely. Aren't they listening to what he's saying? 
So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. Now that has nothing to do with Jesus' age. Jesus was 33. He began his ministry at 30. He took three years to accomplish everything. They are simply meaning in a general sense, you're not even old yet. I hope 50 doesn't mean we're old. <laughs> so they say, you're not even 50 years old yet. And yet, and, and, and have you seen Abraham? How can you say these things about Abraham? Abraham's been dead for millennia. Millennias. Well, he says, of course, to them in verse 58, Truly, truly, I say to you again, pay close attention. And he's even telling them, listen to what I am saying. Tone it down. Chill out. Take a step back. Listen to what I am saying to you. Before Abraham was born, I am. I am is a powerful statement. I am means he's always existed. He will always exist. He's always been. You put your faith in a man. Men have a beginning and an end. They live, they die. You should be putting your faith in Jesus, in God, who has always been. We are subject and submissive to time. Tick, tick, tick. Time keeps on going. Tick, tick, tick. Can't escape it, can we? We're slaves to it, aren't we? God lives above and beyond time. He doesn't live in the realm of time. And he's walking among them in their time to tell them, repent, change. Before Abraham was, I am. The book of Hebrews, the idea is stop idolizing men. Abraham was a great man. Moses was a great man. But Abraham and Moses cannot save you. Angels cannot save you. God has preeminence. The Christ is the King, the Savior. He is of most importance. But they weren't paying attention to it because they had a worldly mind. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. I am is eternal. And they needed to put their trust in eternal things. Therefore, verse 59, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. It wasn't his time yet. He's in control. He knows when he is going to allow himself to die. And it's not yet. It's soon, but it's not yet. And look at what has taken place in this short section of Scripture. Verse 48, they gave him trouble. Verse 52, they're still at it. Verse 53, they can't stop at it. Verse 57, they can't. Verse 59... Their hearts are hardened. Again, the reality of our existence. Some believers, Christians, are evil. And they will never choose to change. Some might, but some will never choose to change. They're blinded by their own pride, their own self-righteous ways. But some paying attention and listening may have begun to recognize Jesus for who he truly was and how they needed to start to follow Jesus. Friends, we don't need to follow anyone but Jesus. And Jesus gives us freedom away from sin. He gives us freedom away from 
the evil that these here Jews were practicing, he'll save us from deceit. He'll save us from lies. He'll save us from uh, blasphemous agendas. He'll save us from uh, 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 false accusations and tyranny. He'll save us from the bondage that men who are evil continuously seek to have a slave to. He'll release us from that. Here at the East Coast Church that belongs to Jesus Christ, we follow Jesus and we have freedom in Him, freedom in Christ. And that is available to everyone. And what would Jesus be teaching them? The theme around all of the gospel, the new birth, the moment in which one is born again out of water and the Spirit. You want to follow Jesus? Be born again. You've been born again, but you've set your ways aside and you've begun to follow the corrupt instead of the pure. Renew your thoughts. Renew your mind. Allow yourself to receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Who are we? Are we verses 48, verse 52, verse 53, verse 57, and verse 59? Are we seeking to murder Jesus while we claim we love him and neglect his words? Or are we verses 49, 50, 51, 54, 55, 56, 58? Are we following the Christ and his message? Friends, the gospel, while we live and breathe, we have opportunity to do as his words command. And he is very clear. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. You don't need to die. We don't need to die spiritually. We do not need to find ourselves in eternal punishment forever and ever and ever. We just need to follow the words of Jesus Christ. That's how that works. Okay, that will conclude this sermon session for this time. And uh, we will proceed with the song.